Welcome to the King of Glory Lutheran Church Education Podcast. We are a Christian community of faith located in Williamsburg, Virginia. For more information, please visit us on the web at kogva.org. For those of you online, I'm Pastor Phil Keener, one of the retired pastors, and it's my privilege to uh, teach this final class on the Psalms. And by way of review, on the uh, handout, you'll see that um, four weeks ago, Claire Partlow began with two introductory classes on the Psalms. And uh, hi, Claire. Good morning to you. There she is. Uh, And uh, Psalms 101. Why the emphasis on the Psalms? The Psalms are the prayer book of the Bible. And when we did this series, I was very eager that we include one class on the imprecatory psalms. Because the imprecatory psalms, uh, for some people, are very difficult to include in Scripture, primarily because their, their attitude is so contrary to Jesus' attitude. Imprecatory, just to make that clear, uh, is to wish ill on somebody in the Christmas hymn, Joy to the World, for as the curse is found, for as the curse is found, I mean, uh, cursing in Scripture is a reality. Uh, It's just, you can't get away from it. Uh, So, uh, Ananias and Sapphira, does anybody remember that story? Oh, yeah. It's hard for me to think about that story without thinking about the lethal curse that came down upon that couple uh, when they were found out to have been dishonest with regards to their offerings of the community. I mean, in the New Testament, that is, that is very, very powerful. And of course, in the Old Testament, there are uh, many instances of cursing. But in the Psalms, if we consider it to be the prayer of the Bible, prayer book of the Bible, how can we incorporate these Psalms as part of Scripture? Um, and that is something that we will get to. First, one. so before we go to Claire Partlow, we had two introductory classes on the Psalms, and then we had Psalm 23 that Tara Wolf did, and then last week Psalm 46. And I also thought it was going to be Psalm 23, the second part of Psalm 23. <laughs> but it wasn't. It was like 23 times 2, which is Psalm 46, which is uh, a, the great Reformation Psalm, they, uh, the basis of which is, it's the basis for a mighty fortress is our God. So today we have the imprecatory Psalms, and I would like to begin with um, this prayer. It's on your Uh, handout. Uh, It's called the Ravensbrook Prayer. The following prayer was found at Ravensbrook Death Camp uh, where 92,000 women and children died. It was scrawled on wrapping paper near a deaf child. Would you please read with me? Lord, remember not only the men and women of free will, also those of ill will, but do not only remember the suffering they have Remember the fruits we have brought, thanks to this suffering, our comradeship, our loyalty, our humility, the courage, the generosity, the greatness of our heart, which has grown out of all this. And when they come to judgment, let all the fruits we have borne be their forgiveness. Amen. Is that an imprecatory song? It's exact opposite. And so I wanted to, I wanted to start this class with with a prayer that uh, would, in contrast to the imprecatory psalms, show what these people or whoever wrote this psalm um, was feeling, and certainly they must be mirroring, echoing Jesus' words on the cross, Father. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Um, and we can be sure that many of those who were crucified um, hurled curses and vile insults at those who were um, inflicting such suffering on them. Not Jesus, and in this extraordinary, this extraordinary prayer. 
Um, so we have um, the challenge of the imprecatory psalms. Oh, uh, I inserted two slides this morning. These are um, Luther's comments on the Psalms. When he first became, this is in 1516, this is a year before he nailed the 95 Thesis on the Church. His first course was a course on the Psalms. And the Psalms provided him that window um, where he took, where he was wrestling with the fact that that um, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, uh, provided salvation through faith. Um, and when he got that interpretive lens, when he studied the Psalms, suddenly things went uh, very, very different for him. Uh, would somebody read what's up on that screen? I, I don't, I have it here, but it's, I'm not sure. The Psalter should be precious to us if only because it most clearly promises the death and resurrection of Christ and describes his kingdom and the nature and standing of all Christian people. It could well be entitled a little Bible since everything contained in the entire Bible is beautifully and briefly comprehended and compacted into a manual. It seems to me as if the Holy Ghost had been pleased to take on himself the trouble of putting together a short Bible, touching the whole of Christianity, in order that they who are able, unable to read the whole Bible may nevertheless find almost the whole sum comprehended in one little book. The Psalter is the very paragon of books. Oh, wow. Pretty strong works. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and of course, um, in that last sentence, the word almost. Because what, what is specifically missing in the Psalms? And that's a reference to Jesus. Um, yeah, there are references to the promised one, but, but nothing that can explicitly say Jesus. Okay, um, and then one more thing from um, Kevin again, please. It is therefore easy to understand why the book of Psalms is the favorite book of all the saints. For every man on, on every occasion can find in it psalms which fit his needs, which he feels to be as appropriate as if they had been set there just for his sake. In no other book can he find words to equal them, nor better words. Place the book of Psalms in front of you, you will see your own self in it. For here is the true know thyself by which you can know yourself as well as the God who created all things. And within that, within that is a window for the imprecatory phrases that we find in the Psalms. Because if we really look at ourselves, how many of us have not had those moments where we have at least pouted <laughs> that's a way to get passive aggressive behavior that's one step up uh, the uh, schadenfreude anyone know that John what does schadenfreude mean like malicious joy at, at someone else's suffering that's right schadenfreude I mean, you know, and, and, uh, and so, um, or the opposite, as Pastor Harmon talked about this morning, uh, that couple that's sitting next to Gail, how did you all, you know, uh, rather than rejoicing that somebody was being recognized for their thing, you know, to, you know, that, that's all. And then it goes, it gets, it gets, from there it gets worse, you know, to where, um, the, the ice skater Harding, what would Tanya Harding? You know what did she do? You know, uh, she she kneecapped her opponent or sent somebody to do that. Uh, so it goes all the way to that. Um, to uh, my father said that spite built more churches than anything else. <laughs> you know, 
so we don't get our way here, we're going to break off and we're going to build a bigger church. And say, hey. <laughs> you know, so, so that it's all, and and the Psalms, the imprecatory Psalms, gives voice to that. Yeah. And and so when Luther says that that we see ourselves, even that that negative part of ourselves, that is that is very important. Let's go to Psalm one because Psalm one is the introduction uh, to the Psalms. Uh, and it provides us a wonderful way to understand what we're going to find throughout the Psalter. Uh, I'm going to read. <clears throat> Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. It begins with the negative aspect of those people, and this is something that we're going to see again and again throughout the Psalms, a description of those people who are not faithful. Then, positive, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Psalm 119, you know, throughout the, everything, God's law, commandments, precepts. The result, he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Da! And we find that um, Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Um, as it goes on, and talks about he, um, he heals, he forgives, your youth is restored like the eagles, those wonderful things that come our way. Uh, the extraordinary, in the, in the Magnificat this morning, remember how the Magnificat begins? With praise to God. Uh, and so uh, when when there, ever there is a celebratory event um, that comes my way, I try to sneak in Psalm 150 because Psalm 150 is the brass Orchestra, the breath, the breath, all the instruments, this cacophony of celebration to God for all of the things that He has done. So um, these the, the Psalms will find that. But then, uh, verse, verse four: the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. That image. Um, the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ your Lord. Compared that to chaff. See, the wicked have no foundation. They just, they, they, they are blown all over the place. And then, uh, therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. Psalm 1, a reminder that God is a God of judgment. Uh, and without apology, Jesus, as he describes the final judgment in Matthew chapter 25, uh, the sheep and the goats, depart from me, all you. You know, it's, it's, uh, the judgment is there. Uh, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, unfortunately that has been used for excommunication and for some very unchristian things, for people who do not who raise objections or have a different way of seeing things, unfortunately. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So the imprecatory psalms uh, are those that can give us a, um, a, a window into that part of ourselves. The challenge. Imprecatory means simply to curse, wish ill, articulate the hope for violent vengeance. Um, and we uh, often nationalism uh, devolves into that kind of, of, um, of thinking. Um, rabid sports rivalries uh, can devolve into that. Uh, the New Orleans Saints were caught in a horrible <clears throat> uh, situation where their players were given monetary bonuses for disabling opponent players, if you remember that. I mean, 
fix it then, uh, even to the point um, that, uh, and, and while my father would, <clears throat> he, for whatever reason, something in his life turned him against the New York Yankees. And so when the Yankees and Dodgers, when the Yankees and Dodgers were playing these World Series in the 50s, he would pray <laughs> the Yankees would lose. Yeah. Is, is that impregnatory? It's wishing, you know, wishing that somebody, Carol said, maybe we can We all know that fair score. There's nothing wrong with that. So, so, uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I grew up as a Cleveland Indians fan. I felt that way most of my young life. <laughs> well, you weren't wishing him harm. You no. give somebody else a turn. Matthew chapter 5. Let's, let's go to Matthew chapter 5. This is why um, these imprecatory sounds are so, so difficult. <clears throat> We'll start with verse um, 43. Let's see. Matthew 5:43. In my Holy Bible ESV, it's it's on page 8 and 11. Love your enemies. But you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers... What more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The key is the last part of verse 47, or the middle part. What more are you doing than others? <clears throat> See, um, the whole point here, I think, that Jesus is making is that uh, it's, it's very... Um, the reciprocity of goodness is something that we depend on in order to make our society and families work. Um, we love our children, um, knowing realistically that they're not always going to love us, but, but there is some expectation that our children will respond. Uh, and also when we do something, when someone does something good for us, we have a sense that we want to pay them back. You know, to kind of even even the score. But the one who says, what do you more than others? Jesus is raising the bar for us and saying, as Christians, we have the responsibility as followers of Jesus, we have the responsibility to do as he did, which is to, to reach out to those who never had an opportunity to pay him back. And to, um, and to ask his disciples to do the very same. The exception of that would be, of course, the ten lepers. Because there Jesus... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Wait, 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 wait. Uh, where are those guys? You know, where, where are they? So they're, they're, um, they're, there is that. And of course, the Psalms, many of the Psalms are driven by the impulse to give thanks and praise to God for his blessings to us. So, so we know that. Um, so, and then uh, on your handout, we have the. Um, Hard for me to see that uh, Yeah, uh, just 14, uh, St. Paul, very, very clearly, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. And yet God uh, reserves for himself the, the right to bless and curse who he wishes. Yeah. Um, causes um, good times to come to fall on evil and bad times to fall on the just. So, and um, I'm going to be preaching the third week in August on the third petition, and I'm already stewing about that. Um, Thy will be done, you know, on earth as it is in heaven. 
and that whole thing of, of God's will in terms of his justice and God's judgment and God's certain ensured displeasure on behavior. And that whole question about how do we in our world today interpret those things that bring us great pain and suffering, those things that rip the fabric of our life, how do we interpret that as something other than God's judgment on us? And that is why it's so very important that we as Christians keep the cross always in front of us because at that point, God's vengeance um, finds toward us is finally um, um, mitigated. It dissolves at that point because from the cross on, we know that God's attitude toward us is only love and that what we suffer is for our benefit. Any questions up to this point? I have, I have one. Yes. Um, therefore, you must be perfect. Mm-hmm. That's impossible, as your heavenly Father is. And and see, uh, this is in um, Matthew chapter twenty-five, where Jesus sets the bar impossibly high mm-hmm. when he says. Um, Verse 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of these least, one of the least of these commandments and teaches earth, this, to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes through several of the commandments. Um, You've heard that it was said, you shall not murder, uh, you shall not commit adultery, um, divorce, all those things he sets the bar impossibly high. Uh, because when he takes murder and, and says that your anger is tantamount to murder, uh, that's, that's, yeah, I know. So that's why he says, you must be perfect because I am perfect. And that's why um, uh, the confession of sins this morning, um, it was pretty raw um, that we that we said together this morning. Um, we've, too often we've listened to the vice of the dark world. We confess that we ascribe too much power to the forces of the evil. We confess in our daily dilemmas we have forgotten the great forgiving love. We confess that we have not recognized a feature. I mean, whoa! I mean, um, any idea that we came out of this past week perfect is destroyed right there in order that we can hear fully and joyfully the word of absolution that God in Christ forgives us. And that's why it's so important. As, as Bonhoeffer said, it's so important for us to hear the words of forgiveness because the word of forgiveness heard in our ear is stronger than the word of doubt in our heart. And um, if you can think about those times where you've had doubts about somebody, you know, the paranoia part of us kind of raises up, you know, have I offended them? Are they angry with me? Why haven't I heard from them? You get all these things, and then you see them, and they're joyful and glad to see you. All that disappears Uh, And I went through that um, several of my hospitalizations. Um, Judy was tardy in getting to my room. And I would, where is she? What what is she doing? I bet she's out there having a good time (laughs) now. I mean, really? and then she would come in, big smile, give me a kiss, and instantly. <laughs> so when I, when Bonhoeffer says the word, spoke the verbal word of forgiveness spoken in your ear is stronger than the word of doubt in your heart. I can totally totally because there's something about hearing it, about seeing it face to face that 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 people. So, um, the, yes. I read something or heard it, I don't remember where recently, but um, 
it, it talked about anger and, and forgiveness, and it said, when you don't forgive somebody, you're taking it to the next level. They have done something against your body. You are not doing something against their soul. You are not forgetting a sin that God wants to be have forgiven. So you're taking the, the sin to the next level. You're now going after the soul. Interesting. The thing, uh, the thing about that, uh, Larry, is that uh, God has given us uh, rememberers. Uh, we remember things, and um, they, it's especially when the hurt has been grievous. Um, I think we should not equate forgiveness with forgiving. Um, when when I forgive something, um, that memory is God's way of, of helping me to be wary and to be alert. That in a similar situation, things might not go the way they should go. Um, but when I forgive somebody, Bill, it means that I'm not going to bring it up again. Uh, it's, it's, I put it in the closet, close the door, and although I remember it, I'm not going to bring it up, and I'm not going to allow it to uh, significantly change my behavior toward me. However, if it's a chronic thing where a person has continually betrayed me, um, hurt me, abused me, used violence against me, then I, in my good thinking, I need to separate myself from that person. And if I separate myself from that, that does not necessarily mean I have not forgiven that person. It simply means that I cannot be in contact with that person without that person, for whatever reason, uh, reaching out to me. And that's, the whole issue of domestic violence is, is something that is um, a horrible reality in our society. And, and uh, some of us have had that in our own families, so we had to deal with that reality. Okay, um, okay uh, this next thing is just, um, the, the secret here, uh, or a key, the Sermon on the Mount is prescriptive. The imprecatory psalms are descriptive. <clears throat> so when Jesus talks about this, this is the behavior that we that, that we should emulate and do. The imprecatory psalms simply describe the reality of our inward soul and the reality of our thinking and how we at times want God to um, to um, avenge but they're also historical in that this is the way David thought of these things for example and so you have to understand that there is a change that comes with Christ that isn't reinforced beforehand and that that's why Bonhoeffer's uh, thank you for the segue because that, that is where Bonhoeffer comes in with his interpretation. So from, um, from the handout, number one, how can we sit? How can Oh yeah, how can we still uh, with these psalms call for the wrath of God against our enemies. The question is therefore, can the imprecatory psalms be understood as God's word for us and as the prayer of Jesus Christ? Um, so, <clears throat> uh, be, on the handout before that, um, Every attempt to pray these psalms seems doomed to failure. They seem to be an example of what people think of as the religious first stage toward the New Testament. Christ on the cross prays for his enemies and teaches us to do the same. How can we still, with these psalms, call for the wrath of God? So that's, that, that's the challenge that we have. And, and Bonhoeffer also says, in talking about the psalms, he says that the other problem is that uh, not only are these psalms... Uh, um, where, where the implications are expressed, but also the psalms 
where the person's self-righteousness is declared, that he is above reproach, that he is perfect, that he has always done everything that God has done for him. It's like, whoa. So Bonnie Hebron has a problem on both sides. How can I pray these, knowing that I'm a poor miserable sinner, how can I pray these psalms that presents me as an innocent victim? The Psalter is the vicarious prayer of Christ for his church. Jesus teaches us to pray the imprecatory psalms correctly. So, um, and what he does, it's kind of a labored um, on our handout. If you can go to that second page. Uh, read, uh, first large paragraph. How does he arrive at that conclusion? That's uh, second page, fourth paragraph. First with a caution. Insofar as we are sinners and express evil thoughts in a prayer of vengeance, we dare not do so. My ad is, yikes! <laughs> but insofar as Christ is in us, the Christ who took all vengeance upon God himself. And see, that's so that's why the cross is so important. That if we ever have a sense that God is getting back at us, uh, that that it is His uh, revenge on us, it's the cross that stops us. That's where God's vengeance was ended. Who met God's vengeance in our stead? Who thus stricken by the wrath of God, and no other way could forgive His enemies, who Himself suffered the wrath that His enemies might go free? We too. Members of this Jesus Christ can pray these psalms through Jesus Christ from the heart of Jesus Christ. That suggests a level of spirituality, a level of, of relationship with Jesus Christ that transcends the intellectual and probably even the affective, the, the emotional, to a um, to a mystical union with Christ. That, that as we pray these psalms, that Jesus, that we hear Jesus Christ Himself praying these words, and we hear Him say them rather than they come from our own self. Um, that's tough, you know. And, and I'm not sure that I have that level of spirituality in order to do that. I think very obviously um, many of the church fathers had that. Um, the great spiritual leaders of, of the, um, I think about Spurgeon um, uh, in terms of his writing. Um, I think of Bonhoeffer um, Thomas Merton, these great people have had developed the ability in order that Christ so much infused in who they are that they can pray these prayers um, and hear Christ praying through them. And I think that's the norm that uh, Von Hafer is suggesting. <coughs> Von Hafer is a Psalter fanatic in his life together in the chapter today with others. He has a major section titled The Secret of the Psalter. He admits that anyone who begins to pray will be stopped with the realization that these are not his or her words. Our hesitancy should be a hint that someone else is praying these psalms and guess who? It's Jesus Christ himself who's praying these psalms. And, and we have examples in gospel where Christ does curse people. Yeah. And, and so once you come to that understanding, mm -hmm. you know, this is not out of character for Christ. To be in purgatory. Uh, I don't know, Kevin. It's really, really have to have um, microscopic focus to. Yes. Because there's so much of Jesus that is, is a Jim. Uh, I my observation is that to call them imprecatory psalms seems like an overstatement. It's, to me, it's more like imprecatory phrases contained in some of the psalms. 
Because even in Psalm 5, it starts out, Give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my groaning, give attention to my... Then it says, But let all who take refuge in you rejoice, let them ever sing for joy. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, in the middle, yeah, it's got that part that's not so nice, but... You're absolutely right. Mm -hmm. And on the last, I've been working on this for the last six weeks, and um, um, the conclusion, the more these psalms are studied in their whole, placing the invitation part in the context of the rest of the psalm, mm -hmm. the more they become less of a problem and more of an affirmation for of all of us who have feelings of, oh no, why me, I'm going to get you back, or powdered, or then passively aggressive. Yeah. They also enrich our understanding of the kind of God we have in His forgiveness and love as exemplified in the life and teaching, death and resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. Claire, please. Yeah, and I like what you said, Jim, and I like your conclusion, obviously. Um, I'm thinking when you say that, you know, this um, it takes a level of spirituality. I agree that to come into this 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 mode that Bonhoeffer talks about, you know, understanding that this is Christ praying with us. And I also think for that new person who's come out of broken life and the story of Jesus begins to awaken in that person some hope that to offer the Psalms as a way to pray would allow that person to say, yeah, I really, that's, that's what brokenness is like. But, but to give it to God rather than to keep it churning within, and that's what happens. Okay, if we can, Kevin, if you can pass the golden ring to Claire. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the segment. Okay. <laughs> on our handout sheets, if we can go to number two on the second page. Mm -hmm. These psalms have not been ignored. Praying curses, the therapeutic and preaching value of the imprecatory psalms. It was a book that Jacob Goodson gave me to review for yes. Um, and this book is an extraordinary book because what it helped me understand is that these psalms have always been a problem for biblical scholars. Uh, Nurbas attacks the imprecatory psalms head on and shares his exhaustive investigation of the different hermeneutical, which means way of interpreting, approaches to the imprecatory psalms. He identifies 13 distinctive hermeneutical principles for interpreting the psalms. Um, and, that, and he analyzes 40 different scholars, writers, preachers who have interpreted the imprecatory psalms. For instance, Von Hafer's interpretation is slotted in the messianic approach because he sees Jesus so much and is joined by contemporary biblical scholar James Adam and James May. It is curious that Luther's interpretation of the psalms is not considered in this book. It was just like, hello, guy, where, where are you in all of your work? So what is the therapeutic value? Nurbas devotes a chapter to the interpretation of the imprecatory psalms through the eyes of the victim. The cry, the primal cry at the horror, disappointment, abandonment, irreversible losses of life are often nonverbal, guttural shrieks, screams, groans, tears. Finding words for all that in whatever form is the first stage toward healing. Words that finally are uttered are the beginning of breaking the isolation, which invariably is the first experience of the victim. These psalms gives words to the anguished, prayers for the prayerless, power to the powerless, hope for the hopeless, validation for the invalidated, and victory for the vanquished. Yeah. So, so he... He, um, and, and that last sentence, I, I should have put that in quotes, that, that, that's, that's his stuff. I mean, it's a beautiful sentence in terms of where, where, where you said, uh, Claire, these psalms can provide those words. Mm -hmm. uh, it's interesting that Bonhoeffer, in, um, in his book Life Together, says that uh, 
new Christians coming should simply ignore them. <laughs> Just, yeah, don't, yeah, don't get hung up on that. Okay, um, now the theology of the imprecatory films, because that, I think that is where we really have an opportunity as Lutherans to, to look at the Psalms in a way that Luther looked at them and found them to be such a rich source of inspiration. And that is why I think it is such a wonderful thing that our congregation... Um, in terms of Sunday morning Bible classes, chose us to give uh, five Sunday morning classes to the Psalms because they are so incredibly important for the spiritual life of, of the Christian. So how does God fare? This paragraph from Nervos answers. The imprecatory Psalms were written by victims of violence who were indeed angry, even to the point of feeling Help me. Attributism and just hatred. But they did not direct their curses to their enemies, nor to demons, nor to soldiers. Instead, they directed their prayers containing these curses to God, depending on God to supervene, avenge, and resolve the situation. They depended on God because they had no other resource and because appealing to God fit their worldview. So, in our justice system, why do not I, as a victim of a violent crime, why am I prevented from exercising justice upon my persecutor or my... What, why? Absolutely, I'm not the same, I'm not God, and, and Romans chapter 13 makes it very clear that, that the state acts for God in that authority. I am not allowed to do that. So I have I take my case to the state. Um, and in the same way that um, in sibling So we had we had two of our grandgirls with us on this trip to Canada. And for the most part they got along well, but there was one particular event where things got dicey. And both of them went to their parents for justice. And so the parents were there as one to arbitrate this and to work out this conflict. Um, we had a, we were at that point leaving um, Hinton, Alberta, for the, a three-hour drive back to Edmonton. And we had uh, two cars, and um, what the decision was, and we put one car, and we had a couple. We had a couple hotel rooms because we were catching the plane early the next morning, and uh, and it's amazing what three hours will do, because we we got to the hotel and we thought obviously they wouldn't want to stay in the next in the same room. Absolutely not. They wanted to stay in the same room. They, they spent the night, they got up in the morning, or, you know, it was just, yeah. <laughs> so, and then the funny thing, we, we got into Richmond, we got into Richmond at 11, uh, 11 o'clock at night? Yeah, 11 o'clock at night. And um, so we got on the shuttle to go to the parking lot. And, uh, and those two, they were sitting, uh, well, one's just finished her senior year in college, a freshman year in college, she has a sophomore in college, and they were, they were, you know, hitting each other's cap and just having a good time. And the man across from them said, uh, you know, I've got two daughters too, and it just, because we let them know these were our granddaughters, and he said, I've got two daughters, and he said, yep. Um, and what was the percentage, Judy? 15 and 85 percent. Yeah, he said, Eighty-five uh, percent of the time you love each other, the rest of the time you don't love each other. Yeah. <laughs> because you're sisters, you can't be best friends. So, okay. They depend on God because they had no other resource and because appealing to God fit their worldview. They were God's chosen people, the people of the covenant promise. They had reason to believe that God would uphold their case, preserve them, and avenge them. Furthermore, they had reason to believe they could depend upon God because they knew their pleas were consistent with God's character. Yes, John? 
I would say that he's saying this is maybe more so here. Uh, pray these psalms when you're tempted to take the Lord's name in vain in a specific way that we do it in our culture. Uh, Jude, the ninth verse. To go to Jude 9. Please. Um, but when the archangel Michael, whoever that is, far better than us, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you, which is a compact. And that's what we're doing here. The Lord, I am so angry that I'm saying, the Lord rebuke you, and you are in the wrong, and he will let him resolve that. It's not my place to say that, but I want God to say that. that. And then uh, the story, which reminds me of the story of Cain and Abel, uh, because there was um, Cain's just frustration that God had um, blessed his brother and not him in this particular and And God knew that Cain was not in a good place. And so God comes to Cain and says, um, is it right for you to feel the way you have? Um, be careful. Uh, sin is crouching at your door, the feline position, crouching at your door. Its desire is to possess you, but you must overcome it. And what happened? Um, Cain did not listen. He killed his brother. And then what happened? Did God take vengeance on Cain? Up to a point. He did not kill Cain. Cain was fearful that because he had killed his brother, he was going to be a person that would receive uh, the justice of the community. Uh, And God put the mark on him in order to keep him safe from the vengeance uh, that he so justly deserved uh, in terms of, of God's so already there God kind of intervenes this morning uh, driving to church um, heard about the Rwanda genocide and what that country has done in terms of affecting uh, reconciliation uh, where people confessed to their crime they were allowed to go back to their community Uh, and, and then it was talking about the difficulty of living in the same community where there's perpetrator and the victim at the same time because of, of the history of that. It was, it was kind of a, a, like, wow, you know, people in, in our culture, in our world, are living with this in a very real way. Um, and, the, uh, and some of the, the politics right now has that sense, you know, where there's, there's, there's almost a, a vengeance of, you know, in, in trying to extract, um, anyway, let's let's go on. How how are we doing? Oh gosh. Okay, here we go. Uh, imprecation in the New Testament. Um, Matthew twenty one eighteen to nineteen. Remember that story, the fig tree. What was the fig tree's sin? It had no fruit for the Savior. God came and he was offered no fruit by the tree. Yeah, that's right. He was barren. Yeah, yeah. so it, it uh, and, uh, and it was out of season. So, so <laughs> and then Matthew 23, 13 to 36. Let's turn to that. These are the great woes. <coughs> Seven woes, uh, my chapter title is Seven Woes to the Scribes and Pharisees. Verse 13, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. 
Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, for you travel across sea and land to make a simple proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourself. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are these are very, very harsh words for what Jesus perceives to be uh, totally contradictory behaviors for what um, God's love, God's inclusion is. Um, verse 16, Woe to you, blind guides, and it goes on. Mm-hmm. Um, Second Thessalonians. Let's move on to that. Second Thessalonians 1, 6 to 9. Judgment at Christ's coming. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and of those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in the saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. So what do you make of that? Um, See, this is, this is a side of Paul that, that we cannot ignore. Um, the uh, Romans chapter 1 and 2, those two chapters, he, uh, he really struggles um, as he suggests that God's judgment upon, God's, upon those who have ignored the gospel, who are enemies of the gospel, will be punished by God's I'm sure I'm certain. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just a couple pages before that, first Timothy, uh, I mean, after this, First Timothy, um, chapter one, verse twenty. In fact, it's the next page. Um, uh, again, First Timothy, young pastor, Paul's um, coming at them, um, at him. This charge, verse 18, I entrust you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding fast and good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. What an image. Among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. God, God get them. Turn around. <coughs> Okay, um, we've got time, uh, I think, for one of the imprecatory psalms. Let's go to Psalm uh, 137. This is the most infamous of the... This is the one that you'll hear people quote. Um, and again, as you get into these these psalms, um, as Jim and Claire have mentioned, um, as I went through this long list of psalms, the predatory psalms that Von Hebrews suggests and that other people, it's sometimes you really have to work hard to find the predatory words. Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How 
shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem, how they said, Lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed. Blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rocks. Power to the powerless. The psalm, the first part of the psalm, is so poignant. It's just powerful in the way that uh, it's happening. In Godspell, the musical, when they sing this first part, it's so beautiful and so sad. It, it just captures it. hearing the music. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It captures the whole thing. The pain of being an immigrant, a, re- a refugee, probably more so than an immigrant, mm-hmm. a refugee, someone who's fleeing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for them, uh, the children of Israel, were they refugees or immigrants? Neither. They were what? Captives. They were captives. They were captives. Yeah. yeah. They were carried away captive. That's right. And then they lived in exile. That's right. Would that be right? Yes. They, they were in exile. Um, so that's that's the pain. Um, and then um, the word repatriation means going back to your country and once again, that whole drama is lived out in the Old Testament in a powerful way. And I guess we have to remember that in the Old Testament the reason for the captivity, the reason for the exile was was what? God's judgment. Yeah, this was God's judgment upon people who have forgotten his ways. Um, And so, okay, God, so if that's what you did to us, could you not do that for at least uh, have agents agents who would take our enemies' babies and, yeah. They they never celebrated the Sabbath year, and they never celebrated the Jubilee. And, And... Theoretically, that's that's how the number of 70 years came to be applied. And that's why we should be very tender-hearted toward those who, having lost a spouse or have gone through some great tragedy, have difficulty coming back to the community. You know, uh, coming back to church. And that's why uh, that's one of the things that we uh, really need to be aware of. That if somebody has suffered a loss and we miss them in the community, that we reach out and we bring community to them. And if necessary, come with them, sit with them, before we get through that very difficult time of sitting in the Okay, um, conclusion once more. The more these psalms are studied in their whole, placing the implication part in the context of the rest of the psalm, the more they become less of a problem and more of an affirmation for all of us who have feelings of, oh no, why me? I'm going to get you or powder, or impassively aggressive. They also enrich our understanding of the kind of God we have in his forgiveness and love as exemplified in the life and teachings of death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that's why the cross, from this standpoint, becomes so very important for our focus that we mm-hmm. see what Jesus experiences, God's judgment upon uh, sin and evil and all the things that, that create violence in ourselves where we want to reach out and we get evil. That was done by God on his son, Jesus, for us. Let's pray. Once again, Heavenly Father, we are humbled by your word, this powerful word, like a two-edged sword that separates challenges us, but finally restores us and offers us hope. For all of us and for all victims who have 
been unjustly persecuted the Christians around the world who, who die because of their faith for those of us who for petty reasons um, get bent out of shape we ask that these psalms would be a way that we can find ourselves, hear the words of Jesus and re-enter our world with shouts of praise and thanksgiving all this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the King of Glory Church Education Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God and His people, grow in faith and love, and live through service and sharing. Visit us on the web at kogva.org.